Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 90 of Chalk Talk, brought to you by The Painted Lines. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter at halfandhalf underscore TPL. I am joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover Radio Show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. Underscore. Mark, how are you feeling this fine Wednesday morning? <laughs> I, I could not feel better, uh, to be quite honest with you. I feel great. Um, it is, you know, a heck of a heck of a time in Philadelphia right now. It was a heck of a time on Sunday, obviously. Still feel like I'm coasting uh, off that energy throughout the week here. But uh, yeah, this week it's you know it feels like it can't go by fast enough. Um, this I, I'm, this this episode for me will be a little a little all over the place, a little inside baseball for people. I'm currently trying to figure out a way to like take off basically the Friday before the Super Bowl and then potentially like the Monday and the Wednesday for parade or for celebration purposes. So uh, I am currently overloading my work schedule right now so I can get everything done in case uh, in case we have something to celebrate uh, in about 10 days. Yeah, I had this grand plan for all the film study that I was going to do over the next couple weeks for the Super Bowl and so far, none of that's panned out because I got sucked into a QB heat mapping data project that turned out to be way bigger than I anticipated. And you guys can check that out on my Twitter. Uh, I tweeted out heat maps for every quarterback that threw over 200 passes this year. Uh, their stats and their comparison to league average, I listed the top three and bottom three in each category in each target zone and some observations from that. Uh, and then today I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get into film review. And I inadvertently fell backwards into another massive data project that I'm going to start releasing later this afternoon. So uh, a little bit of preview of that is I went through and scraped the DVOA data for every year since 2000. So if you've ever wanted to compare uh, how does the 2000... 49ers offense compared to the 2019 Chiefs offense for whatever reason you can now do that you can figure out what the best offenses and defenses and passing offenses of all time have been uh, I just tweeted out the Eagles results but I'm going to be going through the rest of that and compiling it so I just keep coming up with big projects to fill the time instead of getting to the film which is what I want to do um, but before we get into the games I also do want to mention um that I did upgrade our Chalk Talk podcast hosting. And so there had been some issues with distribution to any any feed except for Apple Podcasts. That should all be fixed now. Chalk Talk is going out to uh, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts except for Google Podcasts, which is going to take about two weeks. So uh, you guys check that out. There's links to all those in my Twitter link tree. Uh, if you have any issues with feeds, please let me know, but nothing should be interrupted. Those should start going out uh, with this episode, so I'm pretty excited about that. Okay, uh, go to a couple comments here before we dive in. Steve on Facebook says, I think the Eagles will win, and I believe I'll be at the parade again. Uh, let's go, Steve. Let's go. Chris asked if we've heard the breaking news coming from the Eagles and Josh Stills. I'm not sure what that's alluding to. So, oh, uh, you, you didn't see this, Shane? I guess not. I've been in, I've been yeah. like chest deep in spreadsheets for the last four hours. What did I miss? Bad, bad, bad stuff. Josh Stills, uh, the backup O lineman on the Eagles, was arrested for rape and kidnapping uh, from a charge that dates back to 2019. Oof. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's terrible. Um, terrible. yeah. Awful, awful there. Uh, maybe yeah. the Browns, maybe the Browns could use an offensive lineman for next year. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, people, someone tweeted at me like asking my thoughts on it and it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's bad. <laughs> I don't know what, what else to say really. It's absolutely reprehensible. I hope they cut him immediately. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have much else to say. Yeah. Yeah. I had not seen that, but that's awful. I, I won't, I won't comment without knowing more, but, uh, terrible. So, okay. Let's, uh, move on from that. Let's get into these title games. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be previewing or not previewing. We're going to review the NFC and AFC title games. We're going to hold off on our Super Bowl preview until next week. That'll be next week's show. But uh, then we're going to throw around to some of the coaching news that's going around. So 
Let's dive in. We'll start, as we always do, with the Eagles uh, game. In the NFC Championship game, they best the 49ers 31-7 to in what was just a bizarre game. Uh, just a where you have, you know, the, the sky cam wire, the punt, did it hit the sky cam wire? And I can't believe we're in the year 2022 and, and an official can walk on the field and say, we just don't know. Like, ha- how about we just show the video from the sky cam? I'm, I'm thinking if it shakes, the wire probably got hit. Just a thought. <laughs> I um, didn't think about that. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny that we're even in the moment and it's been three days since then. I hadn't thought about that. That's, you're absolutely right. I, I can't believe that didn't cross my mind. How does the how does the broadcast never show that? Like, even <laughs> I could I could understand if the NFL's like, I mean, we can't use that as conclusive proof. But how does the broadcast not show it? And it's not the first Skycam related incident this year. We had the Mac Jones did his pass hit the Skycam or not? We had that whole thing, and and it and definitely we, did, by the way. Yeah, it definitely, definitely did, did. And, and the punt definitely did too, but. You had the week nine Jets Bills game where the sky cam literally fell onto the field and it caused like a 15 minute delay. So I don't know. Yes. There's some there's some weird sky cam things going on, but that's not the only weird thing for the second week in a row. The NFL had to go to the backup chains because the chain broke like the Eagles literally play in a football field named the link and we cannot get chain links that won't break like Mark. You can go to Home Depot and buy 10 yards of chain for like a hundred bucks. <laughs> Let's get first. I mean, we don't have to do the chain thing again. I said it last week. How are we measuring with chains that are 10 yards long instead of using the chip that's in the ball? But it was just hilarious. Like it, it was the game just felt so weird with so many of these things going on. Um, it was one of the weirder games I've ever watched. By the way, that boo was for the link chain joke there. That's. That, 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 that deserved every bit of that, boo. Um, but <laughs> it is pretty funny that in back-to-back weeks, we've broken the chains. Like, it, it's, it is, it's not like this is happening in New England and then, you know, San Fran and then Philadelphia. It happened at the same stadium back-to-back weeks. It's just Like, are bizarre, these 60-year-old men just in such excitement to move these chains, they pull them too hard? Like, I, I don't even know. I mean, we talked about it last week, and you just said we're not going to talk about it, but it, it is so ridiculous that the chains even exist at this point in 2023 it is unbelievable that we can't just like look at where the ball is and measure 10 yards from that electronically like they do it every play within seconds on television i know that that's not an official the as they always say the yellow line is not official but it's kind of official at this point like when's the last time that it hasn't been official when when, when you're watching one of these replays so yeah, I, I it's ridiculous. You know, the, the whole thing with the ball and the chip in the ball and it's in the middle of the ball, not like, you know, and it's the furthest point of the ball, whatever. Why don't we just use the middle of the ball? Like, I, I still think that's more accurate. I mean, we're talking half a width of a football. I think that's still more accurate than a 45-year-old official that's standing 20 yards away on the sideline trying to see through flying bodies. So I, I just go to the just go to the tracking chip. That's all I got to say billion dollar industry and we're just eyeballing it we're just eyeballing spots like i i I can't believe it there's certain things like the nfl does such a better job in in terms of the on-field watching product at fixing the issues it feels like there's an issue every year they go and fix it whereas the nba and the mlb these are issues that we discuss for you know five to ten years i'm just shocked that the nfl with all the money that pours into the sport and all the technological advancements that they have had and all the technological advancements that other sports have had, that this is still something we're talking about. Like this feels like something that should have been solved 20 years ago, like let alone now. Like it's, it's crazy to me. Every time, every time I watch a a line judge walk in and kind of be diagonal, like they're not walking exactly straight anyway. Like it's just, it's unbelievable. The, 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 the NFL, the NFL handles first downs like my wife cooks, just eyeball everything. Like I try to cook, I try to cook and I'm like, no, no, no. The recipe says a fourth of a cup. And she's like, yeah, just throw some in there. It's fine. And that just doesn't work for me. Um, but apparently it works for her cooking and it works for the NFL. So, so anyways, okay, let's, let's get into this actual game though. So the Eagles open up this game. 
and they open up with a methodical drive that's got to be confidence-inducing. You're playing against a super good defense. You walk the ball down the field. You get into field goal range, and you have a fourth and three, and Nick Sirianni does what he has done all year. He's hyper-aggressive. He goes for it, and you could not fault him for saying, hey, let's kick the field goal. We feel confident in our defense. This is going to be a tough game. Let's take some points, but he chose to go on fourth and three. Uh, The initial play is not there. Jalen Hurts bails to the left, and he's able to flip his hips, throw the ball to Devonta Smith for what appeared to be an incredible catch on fourth and three. Devonta Smith jumps up, gives the sign. They run up and go tempo, and and he did that because it wasn't a a catch. The ball came out, and Smith knew that. Uh, But they get the playoff. They end up scoring a touchdown, and it's just all the little things with the Eagles, I feel like. Like, the aggressiveness on fourth town, being well-coached enough to just know immediately, like, Smith jumps up and taps his fists together, and that's the signal to go tempo, and the whole team catches, and they do it, and they get it off before the NFL can review, or Kyle Shanahan throws a flag. It's all of these little things that adds up, and it leads to a touchdown for the Eagles' defense. And then the 49ers get the ball, and they go two first downs, and they're slowly moving the ball, but then Reddick beats back up tight end Tyler Croft. He strip sacks Brock Purdy, uh, and unfortunately Purdy's injured on that play, and the Eagles get the ball back. And you thought the game might snowball, but it really didn't. The Eagles' offense did nothing for the next three possessions. They gained like eight total yards, and Christian McCaffrey scores a touchdown to tie it up. But then the Eagles put on 14 before half, including a drive where they went for it on fourth and one from their own 34 yard line. That's not a call. Many guys are making. Uh, Yes. It's aided by a Josh Johnson fumble. Uh, It's aided by some penalties, but at that point the route was on as the Eagles go up 21 to seven. I thought San Francisco in this game, they were killed uh, by injuries and penalties. I thought those were the two biggest takeaways for the 49ers here. Yeah. And I guess this is where we can have the conversation and uh, you know, like we, I don't think we want to go too far into the the nonsense on social media, and I don't want to be too much of a homer. I'm willing to be a homer, but not not too much of a homer. Um, they were up 21 to seven before Josh Johnson got knocked out of the game, and before it became a one armed Brock Purdy. Um, so I've heard a lot of you know the Eagles beat a one armed Brock Purdy and Daniel Jones to get to the NFC Championship, and it's like. Well, that's not that's not necessarily true. They were up twenty-one to seven by the time Josh Johnson got hurt. They were up seven nothing with our defensive line bearing down his neck. And that's the other thing. Like, not that I'm celebrating the fact that the Eagles injured a player. That's not what I'm doing. But in some ways, people are acting like, oh, Brock Purdy must have tripped off the bus, and that's why the 49ers didn't have a quarterback. Or oh, they they lost both their quarterbacks. Like, how how can you expect them? They the Eagles knocked both of their quarterbacks out of the game because they couldn't be blocked. Y- your offensive line couldn't stop us, and unfortunately, that caused an injury when your quarterback got hit, and it, it got hit multiple times without you know an injury. Josh Johnson, in, in terms of that, so it, it's just their offensive line was so overmatched, and that's saying a lot because it's one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and. You know, the tackles where I saw a lot on Twitter where we were kind of getting pressure on the edges, on McGlinchey, on uh, Trent Williams, and then even some things where they made some really bizarre coaching decisions in terms of who was blocking who. But those are excellent offensive linemen. And it's not like, you know, it's not like we were going against backup offensive linemen. We were beating offensive linemen who are the best in the sport. So um, it, it drives me a little insane and up a wall to hear some of the narratives that have come out of this game due to the injuries. I, I think if you watched that game, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to come away with the fact that you, you think San Fran would have won if Purdy was healthy. Yeah, so the 49ers, to your point about them being unblockable, um, the 49ers surrendered a pressure on 61.9% of QB dropbacks, and That's the third highest rate of any game this season, this entire season. So the Eagles' pass rush was on one. Um, And you never want to see a player get injured. I mean, Eagles fans, of all people, know that. 2019, Carson Wentz goes out in the, the first quarter of the playoff game against the Seahawks on a dirty hit. And this was not a dirty hit. This was a football play on a dirty hit. And we watched Josh McCallan come in and try to win that game. And, you know, 
we felt bad then. And I felt bad for the 49ers players. I felt bad for the fans that that happened. Unfortunately, it is part of the game. You would rather it be uh, a game played at full health, but that wasn't the case. And the Eagles just won this game in the trenches. One of the matchups that I highlighted last week was Jordan Maialata and how he was going to do, especially if they rushed Bosa against him, which they largely didn't do. And I think that was a mistake. Uh, but Jordan Mailata has only allowed one pressure in 57 pass sets this postseason. He's the highest graded offensive tackle by PFF this offseason. And that's after a year when he largely struggled. Like the Eagles are excelling in the trenches. And this was Jalen Hurts' worst game of the season, in my opinion, by far. He had 4.7 yards per drop back. He had a 37% success rate passing. He did not look comfortable in the pocket. He missed throws. 16% of his passes were inaccurate, which is the third worst of the year for him. And the offense just dominated in the trenches. And it's not sexy. It was under four yards per carry. They still rush for almost 150 yards on a team allowing 70 yards a game. And they won a dirty game in the trenches. And what's what's important and what we've pointed out all year is that the Eagles can win on the ground and through the air, and not a lot of teams can do that. You look at the Chiefs and, and Isaiah Pacheco, what he rushed for in the Bengals game that we'll get to, and it was nothing. Mahomes had to win that game on one leg. If Jalen Hurts was on one leg and he can't move around or throw very well in a game, they could hand the ball off and they could have a chance to win. And so they won by 24 in a game where their quarterback just honestly didn't play that well. And that's, that's what, that's part of what makes this team so good. Yeah. The Hertz thing, I'm not too concerned about it in terms of him not playing well. He definitely missed the one throw to Brown. Uh, absolutely. And you could probably make the argument. He missed the one throw that ended up being a holding call. That was also on Brown. Um, but the one missed uh, Smith had hit him in the chest on the one deep ball. It was a little underthrown, but was kind of thrown as a 50, 50 ball. It's not like Smith burned the guy anyway. So, um, if that's a catch, he's got 170 yards instead of whatever it was, then I think we feel a little bit differently about it, and it's graded a little bit differently. So, um, But you could also say the same thing for the fact that you could take away uh, the, the Smith catch that wasn't a catch that was ruled one. <laughs> so um, you, you can make that argument the other way too. He obviously just didn't have to play that well. Even early on, I felt like they were too run heavy. Um, and that's, it ended up working out and it probably was the smart decision in terms of being safe and everything like that. But like you said, they really didn't play all that well right after the injury. Um, it, it took a little bit, I mean, three straight drives punting the ball there where I felt like they were committing to the run way too much when obviously the, the weakness was supposed to be throwing on the outsides. And I just think that they were in a spot where they were like, all right, I think we can kind of manage this game pretty conservatively for the rest of the game. And I think that's what they did. So I just don't think they needed to throw the ball that much or that well. Yeah. Um, clearly. And clearly. Yeah. And so all this culminates in the Eagles making a trip to the Super Bowl. Like after Chip Kelly got fired, Mark, if I would have told you that in the next eight years, the Eagles will go to the Super Bowl two times with two different coaches, like, that's just insane. Eagles, second-year coaches, just go to the Super Bowl. And so I've got a take here for you. We just saw, and we'll get into it in a minute, we just saw Sean Payton get traded for a first and second round pick. We know what happens after an Eagles coach goes to the Super Bowl in their second year. Do the Eagles Eagles just put Sirianni out there, trade him for a first round pick, and let's hire a new guy and know in two years we'll be back in the Super Bowl? Is that the plan here? You're muted. Oh, it, it might have to be. I'm sorry, Nick. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll put the statue out there, you and Jalen talking to each other, and then we'll have to have, uh, you know, organizational unrest and have a, a controversy. We'll have to trade Jalen. We'll have to fire him. Yeah, it'll Ian, be a whole Ian, thing. Ian Book and Shane Steichen in 2024. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. obviously in jest there, uh, but don't Eagles fans don't get mad at me. But I do want to – Nick Sirianni ends the year 5-0. and against coach of the year finalists and he's not a finalist and to me that's absurd i did see a tweet uh where it was basically saying uh if nick sirianni wins this super bowl against andy reed who, who obviously i think that there is probably a little bit more um 
want to there for Jeffrey Lurie. Uh, I'm sure he definitely wants this one even more now that it's against Andy. Uh, but I think that you could probably say that he's in the Mike Tomlin range of kind of safe forever. Like you could kind of pretty much name your price and you're here until you resign where Sirianni probably has a, and I say that now, like you said, Doug Peterson got like, you know, 18 months before you, before you people were talking about it. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm mistaken, but it does feel like this would kind of be, you know, he'd be the guy for the next 15 to 20 years if he wins this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, do you have anything else you want to say on this game? Cause I do have a little rant I want to do, but uh, I'll it, see if you got anything else on the game first. It's kind of tough just because it's so everything's so tied into the next game. Um, and we're going to be doing a big Super Bowl preview next week. Uh, yeah, I'll let you go on the rant. Uh, maybe I'll, you know, if, if, if I, if I get fired up about some dumb narrative re- relating to this game, maybe I'll fire up after you talk, but, uh, yeah, for now I'm, I can save it for next week. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to go on my little, my little rant here for a second. Um, I want to talk about some of these awards. Obviously, I mentioned Coach of the Year, and that's absurd. Let's talk about Defensive Player of the Year, where Nick Bosa, did, did he play in this game? Was he there? Uh, because he made no impact, and he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Meanwhile, Hassan Reddick has dominated, absolutely wrecked games. He, he's been incredible over the last, what, two months? You know, I, I, went, on a, I went on a little rant uh, during Birds of the Round Table, last night uh for those of you that listen that listen to that too but i mean we're talking about we are talking hassan of house reddick the rightful heir to defensive player of the year the destroyer of worlds the the pass rusher of the great nfc east the king of strip sacks and, and the breaker of quarterbacks and he is not even a finalist for defensive player of the year that's just ridiculous and then let's talk comeback player of the year where we've got geno smith who's coming back from just being a bad football player. Christian McCaffrey, who's coming off of a strained hamstring. Saquon Barkley, coming off of a sprained ankle. And Jared Goff, who is coming off of a season where he missed two games with a knee injury. Those are your four finalists. Brandon Graham, 34 years old, coming off of an Achilles injury that cost him an entire season. He's not even mentioned. For his 11-sack year, best year of his career, and he's not even mentioned. Like, It's just absurd that Eagles players and coaches are being left out of all of these awards. I'm sick of the soft schedule thing. Everybody wants to discount. They played a soft schedule. The Eagles are 9-1 against teams with winning records this season, which is tied for the best in, all, best in history. By win percentage, nine teams had an easier schedule, including the Chiefs and the 49ers. By ESPN's Football Power Index, nine teams had an easier schedule, including the 49ers. By DVOA, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Kansas City were all bottom four in terms of schedule. It's almost as if winning all of your games make your opponent's records worse. I don't know, it's a simple math thing, but I'm tired of that. I'm tired of the, they had an easy postseason run. Dallas fans... The Eagles just whooped the team that you lost to last week. So you want to call it easy. Why did you lose to a team that was easy to beat? You know, did they have to go through uh, Burrow to get to the title game? No. Maybe that's why you go win the one seed. So you get the easiest team left every step of the way. So I'm tired of the revisionist history with everything. The Eagles are a darn good football team. They're the first team since the 1989 49ers to win back-to-back playoff games by 24-plus points. And so don't tell me it was an easy schedule. Don't tell me the team's not good. They're an elite football team, and they're absolutely the team that should be in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. They're 16-1 and with their starting quarterback this season, and we're talking about them as if we have no idea what they are because they haven't played anybody, and it's – it's so patently absurd. Um, you know, everyone knows that uh, I, everyone that follows me, I should say, knows that I interact with Barstool Sports a lot, the Pick Central show. I've been on the show. Um, I'm a big fan. And they have Philly fans on there who are defending us. But there's a couple, there, there's a Cowboys fan on there and there's a Giants fan on there. 
who just repeatedly repeat the same talking points about how the Eagles haven't played anybody. Jalen Hurts is unproven. Look at what Hurts has done in these last two games and look at what the Eagles have done in the last two months. And it's like, well, you know, they're, they're in the Super Bowl. This isn't the college football playoff committee. Like, they weren't voted into the Super Bowl. They earned their way there by getting the one seed and beating the teams that were presented in front of them. The New York Giants, how many people picked the Giants not only to cover against us, but to beat us? How many people talked about how plucky the Giants were and, oh, it feels like 07 again, and this is the new Eli Manning team. And how about the 49ers? They've won 12 straight. Everyone told us, oh, well, this is a real team. You finally get to play a real defense. They put up 31 points. And I know that there, there's some game flow things to consider there with the fact that the offense couldn't move the ball. But ultimately, it, it's such sour grapes. And for Cowboys fans to be talking at this point is so pathetic and so embarrassing when the reason that you're, you're talking is the fact that you put up 12 points on San Fran so you didn't get your chance to face us. You put up 12 points. What's the point of paying like $100 million to your core key position players with Dak and Zeke, and now they're going to franchise tag Pollard, and they're going to have to pay CD. They're going to have to pay Schultz. Good luck, guys. You put up 12 points with that exact crew. Uh, I don't think firing Kellen Moore is going to fix everything there. I don't know how this turned into me yelling about the Cowboys, but um, <laughs> it seems like it seems like that is who is the most prevalent on social media in terms of complaining about this Eagles run. But the the Super Bowl conversation on so many outlets is just embarrassing when we're talking about a team that's been the best team and the best record in the NFL for the entire season, wire to wire, wall to wall. The Eagles have had the best record in the entire NFL. Um, I don't understand the narratives. Uh, I, you know, it seems like we're just going to invent them every week. And, you know, what, what happens if Patrick Mahomes – I mean, I hate to say this. You know more than anybody how much I respect Mahomes and how much I like Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes hurts his ankle in the Super Bowl, which, you know, with our pass rush and with his injury – incredibly possible for something to happen where Patrick Mahomes goes out of the game with the injury that he's already coming into the game with and we beat Chad Henney people are going to be whining and crying and complaining while Jalen Hurst hoists the Lombardi trophy like that that's what that's where we're at and it's if our pass rush is so dominant maybe you should block us and we won't injure your quarterback and it's not like that it's not again it's not like we're TCU. TCU this year, I know you're not a college football guy, but TCU this year basically made the college football championship in part because they knocked the starting quarterback out in half of the games they played. We didn't do that. We did it in the NFC championship, but it's just patently ridiculous. And everyone that's talking about how overrated the Eagles are or how they, they didn't earn their way here, Las Vegas has a pretty good read on things. And Las Vegas – the bookmakers are pretty good at their jobs and pretty good at saying who they think is going to win a game. We are currently favored against, in my opinion, the most talented player to ever play the sport of football and most certainly the most talented player to ever play the position of quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. The Eagles are favored in the Super Bowl. I think that says everything that needs to be said. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into that Chiefs game then. Uh, the Chiefs beat Cincinnati at 23-20. to I think this is the fourth straight time these teams have played, and it's been decided by three points. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but uh, Patrick Mahomes in this game, he did it all. 29-43 of 43 passing for 326 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, that third down touchdown he threw to Marquez Valdez-Scantling in the third quarter to take the lead. That was just a rocket. Uh, and they took the lead. I won't say they never looked back. It was a close game all the way through. Um, feel like any discussion of this game, unfortunately, uh, has to start a little bit with officiating. And it was a great game, and so I don't want to get totally off the rails into that. It sucks that that's what we have to talk about. But the, let's talk about the penalty on Joseph Osai. Uh, Patrick Mahomes scrambles on third down. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to get into field goal range. He goes out of bounds at about the, I think it was about the 40-yard line. And you have Joseph Osai, a rookie, technically not a rookie, but 
He was injured all of last year. It's his first year. So we'll say a rookie. Joseph Osai is, you know, sprinting to try to get Mahomes out of bounds. Playing with your season on the line, don't give up yardage for the field goal. He pushes Mahomes as Mahomes is already out of bounds, and then their feet get tangled up. They go down. I think it makes it look worse than it was that his foot hits Mahomes' foot and Mahomes goes down. But this was not a flop. This was not flopping like Taylor Heineke did uh, against the Eagles earlier this year with the take a knee thing. Mahomes got pushed. He got tripped. Osai definitely pushed him out of bounds. My opinion, I'll see what you think. It it sucks that this happened in such a high leverage spot, but it's the right call. Like Mahomes foot was already out of bounds. I don't even know if Osai knew that. It doesn't matter. This is how the game has been called all year. And so it sucks that it happens on the last play of the game and it gives them a chip shot field goal instead of a 57 yarder. Uh, But it is what it is. It's the way it's been called all year. It shouldn't change uh, in that spot. What did you think? Did you think that was the right call? Um, What were your thoughts on it? I think it could go either way. I I think it's 50, 50. And like you said, I think if he doesn't hit his foot, I think I would probably be arguing that it isn't because I don't think it would have looked like one. Um, but that's semantics. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you could complain too much about that. Like if, if, if they didn't call it, I don't, I wouldn't have complained. And if, and the fact now that they did, I can't be too upset. What I've seen from, and I had, as you know, I had a, a very big future bet on, on the Bengals to win the AFC. So this was very upsetting. I also had a nice long shot bet on the game to go to overtime. Uh, and Ooh, when yeah. the Bengals had the ball, the Bengals had the ball with 40 seconds left. I figured I'd, Looking pretty good to at least hit one of the two. Um, uh, somehow the Chiefs found a way to win in regulation, which definitely cost me a little bit. But uh, in terms of that play, yeah, that play didn't upset me too much. I think what Bengals fans and betters have a problem with, it's a shame that the officiating has now been boiled down to that play um, mm-hmm. because that's all that's going to be talked about. The officiating was really bad in this game. That play wouldn't have made the top five uh, of plays that I thought were – were mishandled by officiating. And there, I think there was one or two that went against Kansas City as well that, that were pretty bad. It, it, the officiating in this game was honestly just dreadful on both sides. It did seem like it kind of ended up probably costing Cincinnati more than it cost Kansas City. Uh, I will say that some of them didn't turn into anything. Like the most egregious one was the fact that they they blew the play dead allegedly, but they let the play go and then they didn't get a first down. They ran the play right back, and the Chiefs didn't get a first down anyway. They didn't get points out of it anyway. So um, it wasn't too big of an issue there. Or it didn't end up being too big of an issue on that one on that one instance. So, um, But, yeah, it, it was definitely a poorly officiated game. Yeah. All in all, I'm uh, sure that, you know, I, I'm sure Cincinnati fans are upset. Yeah, yeah. And, like I said, that's a tough way to lose the game. And there's officiating things that, that went in before. But at the end of the day – you cannot let a play you cannot let a game come down to one call by an official and you know that's easy to say uh, for me watching the Bengals lose but i've said the same thing consistently for years i said it after no clear recovery eagles dallas like you just you cannot let a game come down to that and uh, unfortunately when two teams are so good and so evenly matched a lot of times the margins can be that thin but the the Bengals uh, they weren't able to protect Burrow in this game. He was sacked five times. He was pressured on 43% of his dropbacks. And uh, to be honest, I don't think it's that the O-line played worse than they did against the Bills. The O-line didn't have the snow to aid them in slowing down pass rushers. And so uh, all the Bills fans in my mentions about my take that you should play playoff games and not in snowy weather that snow on the ground is probably why you didn't sack Burrow five or six times and maybe beat the Bengals as well. But uh, I'll, I'll stick a pin in that one and leave that one. Uh, but the Bengals... Uh, did it, what did they score, 10 points in that game? Yeah, something like that. The Bills, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, Their offense stunk in that game yeah. anyway. Yeah, but I, I do think it had less to do with the O-line playing worse. I think it had a lot more to do with not playing in snow, and so pass rushers were able to get out of their stances and go. Um, the Bengals started slow in this game. They climbed out of a 13-3 to deficit early, just like they did last year, right? But it just wasn't enough. And uh, our instant classic game for, for the Chiefs, and not getting into Super Bowl preview too much, but 
they were so hamstrung by receiver injuries. Justin Watson was ruled out before kickoff. And then they lose Nicole Hardman, Kadarius Toney, and Juju all in this game. So we'll track their progress towards the Super Bowl. But Mahomes was out here with Kelsey and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and one ankle, and that was about it. And so I, I thought just an incredible performance by Mahomes just sort of adds to his lore. Yeah, I mean, he's the best player on the planet. He's the baddest. He's the baddest man on the planet. He's he's just an absolute beast. And uh, way too many people doubted Mahomes um, in terms of the whole Cincinnati thing. And I, I'll admit that I got caught up in it as well. Um, I wouldn't have if I thought Mahomes was healthy. Um, so the reason that I was so heavy on Cincinnati and so confident in them was because I did think that there was a chance Mahomes got knocked out of the game, even if he played. And obviously that didn't happen. And I would say that he was actually like, I don't know what you think. I, I think I would say he was probably healthier than I would have guessed he was going to be. Uh, right. Yeah. I thought he looked really good uh, in the early parts of the game. There was the one throw where he was rolling left and he sort of had to flip his hips and put a little extra on a pass. And it seemed like he kind of came up a little gimpy after that and then was for the rest of the game. But, yeah, I thought he looked pretty good overall. I think he's going to be – I think he'll be nearly 100% in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. And that kind of flies in the face. Uh, going going into the conference championship, I was saying, you know, maybe I'd rather face Kansas City because if Mahomes isn't going to be healthy, uh, you, you just, you know, you pretty much have to cover Kelsey and the receivers don't scare you at that point. Um, but after watching the Hawks on Saturday or on Sunday and watching the Bengals O line, uh, probably would have rather seen Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Patrick Mahomes is the odds on favorite to win the MVP. I think he's at like minus 750 right now. Uh, assuming he wins the MVP, it would be the first time that an MVP has made the Super Bowl since 2017 when the MVP and Tom Brady lost to the Eagles, which I thought was interesting. Um, the league MVP has only made the Super Bowl nine times since the year 2000, and they've lost wow. all nine times. It was Brady yeah. in 2017, Matt Ryan in 2016, Cam Newton in 2015, uh, Peyton Manning in 2013 and 2009, Brady in 2007, Sean Alexander, which is how you know it was a different era, in 2005, <laughs> Rich Gannon, 2022, or 2002, excuse me, Kurt Warner in 2001. The last time an MVP made it to the Super Bowl and won was Kurt Warner in 1999. So uh, assuming he wins, he'll be trying to become the first MVP to win the Super Bowl since 1999. The Eagles will try to become uh, the second straight team to knock out the MVP in the Super Bowl after they did it in 2017. Hey, you know what, Mahomes, uh, you can have the MVP. Jalen will take the Super Bowl MVP. How about that? Yeah, I'm down for that. I think I um, think Jalen will be as well. <laughs> Which, by the way, I think I mentioned this on the show. Yeah, I did. I definitely mentioned this on the show last week. Jalen Hurts was plus 350 to win Super Bowl MVP last week. Hopped on it. I believe that number's down to like plus 115, plus 120. Um, and by the way, I will just say, um, I firmly believe this. I think I'm actually curious to hear what Shane thinks. Um, I, if you want to bet on the Eagles to win the Super Bowl, how I would go about that is I would just I would just instead of betting minus one and a half, instead of betting minus 125 or whatever the odds are on the money line, I would just bet Jalen to win Super Bowl MVP because I think in about 80 and 90 percent of scenarios that we win this game, Jalen's going to win MVP. Yeah, uh, I mean. I know Cooper Cup won it last year, but I yeah, feel like it's yeah. almost always, almost always your quarterback, right? I, I'm I, looking I, back I at the list 60, here. 70%. Okay, Cup, Brady, Mahomes, Edelman, Foles, Brady, Von Miller, Brady, Malcolm Smith, Malcolm Smith, <laughs> Joe Flacco, Eli Manning, Aaron Rodgers. See, that's generally going to be your your quarterback if you like. Tell me what you think about this. If the if the Chiefs, if you want to bet on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, how about taking Travis Kelsey at plus eight hundred over Patrick Mahomes at plus one thirty five to win Super Bowl MVP? Like, he has nobody to throw to except for Travis Kelsey. 
what are the odds that if the Chiefs win, Travis Kelsey gets the Super Bowl MVP? I just think it would have to be so crazy. Like, he would have to have such an insane game for that to happen. And I, I actually kind of feel the same way uh, about about the Mahomes MVP bet as I do about the Hurts MVP bet, where I, I, I think that there's probably a value instead of betting Chiefs money line to just bet that Mahomes at plus 135. I think Kelsey would have to have, like, 200 yards and like two touchdowns to get the MVP or he would have to account for like 75% of Mahomes yards. I just think it's more like than not that Mahomes ends up winning that MVP. Even if the odds aren't that sexy or aren't that juicy, I think that that's probably the smart play. Yeah. I wonder too, if, if he wins MVP, if he wins the whole MVP, if they might be a little more, uh, apt to give Super Bowl MVP to Kelsey if it's close. Well, we already know Mahomes won the MVP basically at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he did. So, okay, let's now we're gonna throw around. We're like I said at the top, we're gonna save our Super Bowl preview for next week. Uh, give us a little more time to dig into matchups, find out where guys are at injury wise and all that. But we do want to throw it around the league and talk about some of the coaching news. Uh, dominoes are starting to fall. Uh, I'm gonna lead off here, Mark, with. At Nathaniel Hackett being hired by the Jets to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, in six years as an offensive play caller, do you know how many times Nathaniel Hackett has had a DVOA offense ranked above 25th? How many? One. Five of six times he's been a play caller. He's been a bottom seven offense in the league. Uh, in 2017, he was the Jags offensive play caller, and they were 15th. That's the only year that he's been above 25th, and he was literally league average. Uh, I, I used Terrible to move by the Jets, unless it gets him Aaron Rodgers. I used to defend Nathaniel Hackett because he made Blake Bortles like, average. And I was like, man, if, if he can do that, then he must be good. He's a total buffoon. So, yeah, that's, I actually feel like LaFleur's a good coach, too. So uh, I think the Jets made a big mistake on the OC there. Yeah, same. Okay, let's go to Denver. I know you've got some stuff to say about this one. I had a whole thing planned out about how the Denver coaching search was going terribly. Um, you know, they wanted John Harbaugh, and he said no. And then Sean Payton pushed back the interview to go interview at Arizona instead, which is never a good sign. And then they wanted D'Amico Ryans, but D'Amico Ryans didn't want to go there. And so he wants to go to Houston and where two consecutive coaches have been one and done, but D'Amico Ryan's wanted to go there instead. And they wanted uh, Robert Quinn and he's going to, not Robert Quinn. Uh, that's a football player, Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn was like, nah, fam, I'm just going to stay in Dallas. And it was not going well, but then the news broke that the saints and Broncos are finalizing compensation. So they're going to end up trading for Sean Payton. And I think it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't write it down. It was they're giving up a first round pick this year, which was the 30th overall pick they got from the 49ers, and they're giving up a second next year, and they get a third back next year, and they get Sean Payton. That was the deal, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just gonna real quick jump in. This is gonna have to be my parting shot uh, on my way out here. But this is what I wanted to talk about with, with the Denver situation. I've been so negative on Denver and I actually, I'm still not as high on the roster as some other people where even after this news, I've heard some people be like, Oh, well you look at all the stuff on the roster. That's the same thing people were saying last year. Um, and I know that Nathaniel Hackett was a big part of why that team saw it stunk. But um, I, I think that the roster was nowhere near as good as people were considering it. Even though the defense was uh, better than I gave it credit for. I will say when your offense – it's like uh, in the NBA when your offense scores a lot of points, it's usually going to hurt your defensive rating because the, the other team keeps up and the other team, the pace quickens. It's the same thing in the NFL where if you're scoring 10 points per game, it's probably going to drive your opponent's totals down. Like you're probably going to give up less points per game when you're scoring an embarrassingly low amount of them um, just because you're not pushing teams as much. Um, I think that that's just human nature. Uh, but – the defense is obviously very good. How I feel about this Denver thing, and I've heard a lot of like, oh, Denver's so stupid. How do you trade a first and a second for Sean Payton? The way I look at it, the second and the third swap, that's probably a difference of 15 to 20 picks, whatever. I think at that point that's, you know, inconsequential. The first pick, the first rounder is the 29th pick, and it, uh, it is from uh, San Francisco. 
uh, and San Francisco uh, traded for Chubb. Miami traded for Chubb using San Fran's pick, um, and then uh, that's uh, that's a low pick. That's kind of a found pick, um, and I think that you know I think that this is the only move that Denver had was getting Sean Payton because they don't have a they don't have cap space. They don't have uh, high picks. They don't have anything they can do with the Russell Wilson situation. They're locked in. This is all they had to do. And, you know, he's the second best coach of my lifetime, in my opinion. So, yeah, was it a nice part? Like, they probably paid too much of a price. Sure. I think this is the only option they had, though, and I have to uh, leave you on that. Your The other option would have been uh, to eat the – would have been to eat the salary, you know, with Wilson, fully commit to the tank, uh, and – just realize that it's going to be a bad year, get somebody in there as a placeholder tank, get rid of Wilson. And then you can go for Caleb Williams, but that is unpalatable to new ownership. I get that. Uh, I'm not a fan of trading a first round pick for a coach. I don't, I don't know that a coach is worth that, but I know Mark would disagree with me on that. The one thing I will say is I can't wait to see uh, who Howie Roseman drafts for the Eagles with that first round pick the Saints just got it's going to be fascinating uh, so we'll wrap I'll rapid fire here a couple more coaching moves and then I'll get you guys out of here D'Amico Ryans went to Houston uh, that became official yesterday I think that's a great hire by Houston um, obviously he's going to have to pull in some offensive coaching staff right but he's going to do wonders for that defense I do wonder if football is going to start swinging back in the direction of defenses that can stop the elite quarterbacks you know it used to be defenses win championships and that's not the way that it's been anymore but a lot of times in the NFL the way to win is to zig when everyone else zags you've seen it with the Eagles in their running game that it's become all about explosive passing offenses and stopping those and meanwhile the Eagles built the best rushing attack and now they're running on defenses that are built to stop explosive passing plays and so maybe this works out for the Texans he's got connections there from being a player uh, but they've got to commit to him long-term. You can't keep doing this one-and-done thing. Hopefully he brings in a strong uh, offensive guy to develop whatever quarterback they end up with. Uh, next we have Frank Reich to Carolina. I liked this move. Uh, Carolina's got to make a move for a quarterback. They've got pieces on defense. You can attract a good defensive coach, to, an up-and-comer, to go work with that defense. Um Frank Wright coming in as the head coach, I think, gives you the ability to draw a decent offensive play caller. And it's also going to, you know, he does good work with quarterbacks. You know, whatever you might say about how Carson Wentz went in Indianapolis, um, obviously Carson Wentz was in full implosion mode. But in Philadelphia, he worked really well with Wentz. He helped develop him. Uh, he tailored his offense to different quarterbacks in Indianapolis so I liked that move for a team that really needs a QB developer uh, then let's talk about Bill O'Brien goes to New England as the offensive coordinator and I mean come on like he couldn't even get an above average offense in Houston when he had Deshaun Watson peak Deshaun Watson I don't understand why Bill Belichick is just recycling his old disciples the Joe Judge Matt Patricia Bill O'Brien like the best thing for New England, and I know you can't do it, but the best thing for New England is just to get Bill Belichick out the door. This team will never be good again with Bill Belichick there, with Bill Belichick just recycling these old assistants. Uh, it's time for New England to move on, and I really don't feel like they can do that until Bill just decides to retire. So I don't know if that's on the radar, but they really need a GM to come in. Belichick has been a poor GM. He's been poor at hiring guys. Um I mean, he's, he's obviously high, He obviously has people that are good under him, Josh McDaniels and all these other people. They don't do good when they go somewhere else, but he continues to bring back these people that just aren't that good. And so, you know, I hate it for Mac Jones, uh, that he's going to be saddled with Bill O'Brien at this point, uh, new England needs a fresh start and I don't know when that's going to come. And then the last one here, Kellen Moore, uh, mutually parting ways with the Cowboys which is pretty much what you tell people when your girlfriend breaks up with you, right? It was mutual. Um, Cowboys decide to scapegoat Kellen Moore, and there's some validity to the Kellen Moore criticism. Like, you know, there were times they they there was film out where you know they're running four curls at eight yards on one play, and that's that's not the best design. Uh, but my bigger criticism of Moore is 
his inability to rein in Dak Prescott when Dak is having a bad game. Dak's an up and down player and he's a good player, but he has bad games and Moore has to be able to rein that in and he doesn't. It's like when Dak has a bad game, he just implodes and Moore doesn't do anything to help it. And that's concerning, right? That's really concerning. I don't think he's the issue. If this came uh, along with Mike McCarthy being shown the door, it makes sense. We want a whole new approach, whole new offense, fresh start. But to get rid of Moore and then hand over play calling to Mike McCarthy, that's just a travesty. The Cowboys are going nowhere with Mike McCarthy calling the shots on offense. So that's a terrible move for Dallas. Now for the Chargers, I love this move. First of all, upgrading from Joe Lombardi to literally anyone would be good. But to bring in Kellen Moore, you know, he's worked with a similar player to just to Justin Herbert in Dak Prescott. They're both good processors. Now, Herbert's not as prone to the mistakes as Dak is. And so we'll see if he can come in and he can work with Herbert and he can get some verticality to that passing game. You know, he's got another quarterback that's a really good processor. I think it'll be a good fit, you know, but we'll see. Maybe there's things that Mike McCarthy are being blamed for. I thought we're really Kellen Moore's fault, but I do expect overall that move to be a net negative for the Cowboys and a net positive for the Chargers. And that's going to wrap it up here for our AFC-NFC Championship review, uh, the coaching carousel talk that we wanted to get into. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us for episode number 90 of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, Smash that subscribe button. Turn on notifications so you don't miss the next episode. Those of you watching on YouTube, on Facebook, here live, dropping comments, we really appreciate you joining in. If you're listening later on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any of these other platforms, please give us five-star ratings and reviews. It'll really help us get the podcast out there. Maybe go follow it on a second platform just to, just to help us out a little bit. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at half and half underscore TPL. He is at Mark Henry Jr. We're going to have a lot of content coming your way next week to get you ready for the Super Bowl. Uh, just to tease it out, I'm looking at bringing on some Eagles guests and some Chiefs guests and separate podcasts to do some interview style things. Get you guys all the information that you need for the Super Bowl. But for now, from me, from Mark, and from the Painted Lines, we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>